Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment and thank you for tuning into our church's podcast. This week's sermon is from our series Alpha and Omega. To learn more information about Sturkey Hills, you can find us at sturkey.church. Oh, and don't forget to hit subscribe to our podcast so that you can always stay up to date with our latest messages. We're so thankful for all that God has been doing in the life of our church and the part that you play in it. Thank you for listening and have a blessed day. Well, amen. I hope you can sing that song from the core of your being that you have set your heart on him. Because when you do, his affection is already turned toward you. And when his affection and a new and real affection comes from you toward him, they collide. And when they collide, something happens, man, because he's waiting for you to take that posture in your life toward him. He really is, because he already has it toward you. And so I just want to encourage you in that. Now, today, if you've got your Bibles or your device, you can go to Revelation chapter 14 as we continue, uh, continue trekking through the book of Revelation, the, the, one of the coolest books in all of God's Word, uh, one of the most feared books in all of God's Word. And I just want to tell you, we're in Revelation because in the beginning it says, blessed is the person who hears, reads, and hears these words. So we're going to get a blessing. Amen? Now, today, I want the women to, to kind of just uh, pardon me a little bit because I'm going to be speaking into the life's of the men in our church, uh, but this is for the women too, so don't just turn it off. Don't look up uh, some other preacher and watch him on your phone while I'm preaching, okay? Because I want you to know what your men are hearing today, and if you are a note-taking woman, I don't need you to take notes so you can next week say, remember what the preacher said, bro? You know, I don't need that. So if you want to give your notes uh, paper and your pen to your husband, I want them to take some notes. I want them to get this, Okay. Now, as we've trekked through Revelation, last week we were in 13, and we saw the the revealing of the trifecta of the ungodly. We talked about Satan himself, who is the dragon. He cannot be God, but he desires to be God, and he he, uh, pursues worship. That's what he's after. He did it in heaven before he was expelled. He does it now, and his demons are his his, uh, minions who do his evil work. And they embody themselves, and that's how they perform the works of the evil one. So we talked about last week the trifecta of the ungodly. He can't be God, so he wants to imitate God. And so the dragon stands on the shore, and he is Satan himself. And so for him to to acquire the, the people and to do the damage that he hopes to do, he needs some players. And so he stood on the shore, and he looked, and he saw emerging from the sea a, a beast, number one, who is the Antichrist. Well, Satan tries to imitate God. He looks, and God has a son. And he says, okay, I need a son too. So he embodies uh, himself into the Antichrist who will be a political leader. And then at the same time, uh, John the Revelator looks and he sees emerging from the land, he sees beast number two who is the false prophet. Because if Satan is going to, uh, to um, accomplish what he wants to accomplish in the world, he needs to do it both politically and spiritually. So he needs a religious leader because we are religious people. Okay, and so he needs a religious leader and he needs a political leader, and so now he has them. Now, I didn't want to leave you in the darkness, and, and I told you that when you, when you read the, God's word, you'll find yourself in places, man, where it's just kind of hurtful. You're like, I mean, it just kind of, you feel, you feel the weight of it. If you keep reading, you'll find Jesus or God the Father somewhere close by. He's never going to leave us too long in the dark, and it's true in the seasons of your life. And so I just want you to know in Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, after John the Revelator had seen all of that evil, he looks and he sees the Lamb of God standing on Mount Zion. 
And man, that's good news because if we said Jesus is not surprised, he's not impressed with the evil. Okay, he knows the future. He's got him right there in his hands. He allows a certain amount, gives him a freedom. He's on a leash, but he gives him some freedom. But Jesus has his feet planted on Mount Zion, and we're going to see something today that is just mighty cool for the men of our church, okay? Now, I want you to know if men, women, boys, and girls, no matter where you're at in your journey called life, and maybe you're in a season where it's very difficult, don't you give up. Don't you back up. Don't you shut up. Don't you let up. You just look up because Jesus is going to show up, okay? I want to tell you that. And I have been in those seasons. And if you've ever been in a season, man, where it's dark and you feel like God is at a distance, I want you to raise your hands. I felt that, okay? You can put your hands down. See, we're all in the same boat. I want you to know if you're in that place, Jesus wants to show up, okay? Now, I want to, I want to show you today what it looks like when he shows up because this is cool. Now, like I say, this is for... The men predominantly, um, but it's for everybody. But I've got to call our men to a new level. Because if God wants to do something great in our church, it's going to take God using the men of the church. And I don't say that as if men are more important than women because they're not. We're equal. I say it because often men sit back and watch the women lead them spiritually. That's not God's plan. Okay? I'm glad we have women who are willing to take that reign and do that, but it's the men's job. And men, I want you to know that God holds you accountable for your family, not your wife. And you may pass that off, the responsibility of it, but you don't pass off the obligation before God of taking care of that. So I, I don't want to be the preacher that comes and says, man, you got to be the men. You got to be the men. Er, 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 you know, and then we walk away and you're like, yeah, I don't, know. I don't even know how to get from point A to point B. We're going to show you today because we're going to see a picture of a group of men that have some very specific characteristics that when we take those characteristics into our life, God will use us in a mighty and in a special way. And so I just want to read, uh, I, I want to do this for you. I, I, want, I need some people to be recognized today. So I'm going, to, I'm going to invite the men to stand. Here's what I'm looking for when I say men. I'm looking for boys moving toward being a man. I'm looking for men trying to be the man, and I'm looking for old men just wish Jesus come on back and bring you a new man, okay? I want all men, folk, boys and men, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand up. Come on. And if somebody's struggling in their identity, ladies, you give them a nudge, all right? We live in that world, okay? I want to tell you, men, boys, men, old men, wherever you fit in that range, I'm very proud of you, and God's very proud of you, and God has a plan and a purpose for your life. It's why you're here, not just in this place, but on this planet, and he wants to use you in a powerful way that you can't comprehend, but I'm telling you, he has a plan. Now, listen to me. His plan and his purpose is bigger than any plan or purpose that you could contrive or fabricate on your own. And I want to say this, when you let God make you the man he wants you to be, the people around you will see a man they never thought they would see. That's what God does, okay? I'm a, I am a poster child for what should be a train wreck. And yet God, for some unknown reason, because he's God, he chose to put a plan in me. And, and if he has a plan and a purpose for me, listen to me, he can use you twice as much. Because I'm looking around here, y'all a whole lot better man than I am. 
Now, I also want to say this to the women folk in here. Maybe standing beside you, you have a brother, maybe a son, maybe a father or a grandfather, maybe a friend. I want to tell you this. That man standing next to you, he's a good man. He's a good man. He's not a perfect man. That would be Jesus. So the next time you're looking for a perfect man, don't look for any of these men standing around you. They're not perfect. They're in the process, okay? Jesus is perfect. You take it to him, all right? Now, men, I want you to have a seat. Ladies, I want you to show some love to these men. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. That right there was a terrible golf clap. That's what that was. Hey, men, listen to me, men. Don't you pay no attention to them. You listen to the pastor, and you listen to the word of God, okay? And it'll trump the golf clap, okay? Because there's a God in heaven. He clapped a whole lot louder. You know why? You know why he's so proud of you? Because you're here. You could be in jail. You could be downtown nestled up next to an empty uh, whiskey bottle. You could be anywhere on the planet. You could be laid up in the bed, but you're here in God's house, okay? And I'm proud of you, and God's proud of you. Amen, Brother Joel. All right, so... Man, here we go. It's going to be fun already, I said. All right, I want to read you five simple verses found in Revelation chapter 14. It goes like this. Then I looked, and here was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I also heard a sound coming out of heaven like the sound of many waters, like, many sound, uh, like, like the sound of loud thunder. <clears throat> now the sound I heard was like that made by the harpists playing their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one was able to learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And these were redeemed from humanity as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found on their lips, and they are blameless. And as I study the book of Revelation, I, I see things every week that I've never seen before. It's beautiful. And this message is a beautiful message, not from me, but from God. And it's to everyone, men and women, but predominantly I want men to hear this message. The first thing that I want you to see, because I don't want men, I don't want to tell you, you need to be the man God wants you to be and leave you, send you out not knowing how you can become that man. So I think right here in this, in this book of the apocalypse, in chapter 14, we're going to see some really amazing truths. So in verse 1, Jesus is standing on the mountain, all right? He's right there. He has his feet planted. It's a picture of what he does when the seven years of tribulation has moved by. Jesus returns and he plants his feet. First thing I want you to see about this group of people, this group of men we're going to see is they have a sealed future. And I want you to know, men, you have a sealed future. It says in verse 1, second part, it says, With him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Now, the title of today's message is this, a new brand for a new man. And I have in my hand a branding iron, not a particular one. I could say this has got a J and a C and it stands for Jesus Christ, but the C would be backwards and I would look like, uh, I don't know my alphabet very well, I think. Yeah. And so anyway, maybe, no, it is wrong. So here's the thing. So here's the thing. What is this? This is used, has been used for about 4,500 years. Now, animal activists, they don't like this because you're hoached to cows, okay? But it's not about hurting the cows. It's about protecting something. 
You see, when a brand is placed on the hip of, a, of, of, a, of some form of livestock, whether it's cattle or sheep or whatever, when it's branded on the hip, it has a mark, an indelible mark that will last a lifetime. And the mark says this, I am owned by someone. I am being protected by someone. And if someone comes into this circle and tries to take one of these that are marked, they will pay a penalty. They will be hunted down and they will pay a penalty for what they have done. Also, it says, if I get separated from the herd or from the, from the group, it identifies this one who is separated to let someone else know that they need to be returned back to where they came from. Also, it lets them know, even if they're alone, they are still marked and they're branded and they have an owner. That's what a branding iron does. And I want you to know, church, men, when you receive Christ into your life, you have been branded. You've been branded not with a hot iron. You've been branded with the seal of the Holy Spirit. And it's an indelible mark that cannot be removed. You see, it says here there were 144,000 who had his father's name written upon their foreheads. And the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of your inheritance. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So, so I want you to understand something, church. I want you to understand something, men. When, when you receive Christ into your life, when you are born again, you're saved. And when you're saved, you're sealed. And if you're saved and sealed, Jesus is going to show up with you. In this picture, there's 144,000. Now, here's the cool thing. You say, what's the big deal? This is at the end, a picture, a revelation, a view of the end of the seven years of tribulation, which Jesus said in Matthew 24 is the worst seven years in the history of the world. Never before, never after will there be seven years of suffering like this. This is a seven-year period when the fury of hell has been released and the wrath of God has been poured out. And yet there are 144,000 Jewish men who are proclaiming the gospel and they are unscathed, unharmed in this terrible time. And what happens in chapter 7, now they show up in chapter 14 with Jesus the King. And I want you to know something about this number. It's the same number. It doesn't say at the end of this terrible seven years, 143,999 show up with Jesus. Okay, whoops, we lost one. No, every single one of them showed up with Jesus. And I want you to know something. If you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God because you've been born again saved, you're forever sealed too. Now, we're Baptists. I'm proud of that. That doesn't bother me, Okay. And as a Baptist, we get accused of something sometimes. Oh, you Baptist, that means you believe that whole idea, once saved, always saved. Listen to your preacher. The preacher doesn't believe once saved, always saved. The preacher believes if saved, always saved. If you're truly saved, if the God of heaven has spoken into your soul, whispered into the depth of your being and said, hey, I love you right where you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. 
I want you to come into my arena. I want to save you, wash you in the blood of Jesus. I want to make you my own. I want to adopt you now and forever into my kingdom. And you just happen to be the, the one standing there, gullible enough to believe that was God speaking to you. And you say, uh, yeah, I'm listening. And he says, if you'll receive me into your life, I'll save you and I'll seal you. Then you're sealed forever. See, there's people who want to say, well, now, Brother Joe, I just don't know if I agree with that. I believe I can lose my salvation. I believe I can be saved and tomorrow I commit a sin. Man, I'm, I'm lost again. And then the next day, man, I live good. I'm by Sunday morning, man, I'm saved again. But when I got out here and that woman pulled me off, out, I mean, that guy pulled me off over uh, in front of me out here on the highway and I shook my fist at him, oops, I lost again. And you go back and forth, man, that'd be a terrible life because you don't know which moment you're in because your life looks like this all day, every day, Sunday included. If, it, if you're looking for perfection, this is where you're going to be. And quite honestly, if you think your salvation is determined by how good you are or are not, then you're right here all the time, lost. Hello. You're not saved because of your goodness. You're saved because of his greatness. Your goodness will send you to hell. His greatness will invite you into heaven. And so when you give your life to Jesus... He saves you and he seals you, he brands you, and he says, I got you marked. Now, when you start being disobedient, I'm going to have to punish you. I'm going to discipline you, but I'm going to love you. The Bible says if you've never been disciplined by the Father, you can't be considered a child of the Father. So that's what he does. That's what he does. Now, so I want you to know, men, that you have a forever seal, and it's because he does the sealing. Second thing I want you to see is that you get a song you get a song, a special song. That's point number two. <clears throat> it says in verse two and three, I also heard a sound coming out of heaven, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of loud thunder. Now the sound I heard was like that made of harpists playing their harps. Let me pause right here because this, this, this is good. I want you to hear this. I am totally amazed by instrumentalists, okay? I, I'm amazed yeah. that Kevin in that little drum booth can bang those drums like that in a rhythm that is incredible. I, I've tried that. If you hadn't tried it, let me just go ahead and tell you, you can't do that. I'm just telling you. You think, oh, yeah, I can. I got it. No, you don't, okay? It's a, it's a gift, man, to keep timing, okay? Joe would be putting a stink eye on you every Sunday if you was in that box, Okay? Because what he does leads the whole pack. I'm impressed, man. I love your gift. I'm impressed right here on this keyboard. Whether it's, uh, whether it's Haley or Don, I'm impressed, man, that they just, man, they just play the keyboards, you know. Whatever, close the eyes, you know. Right over here, Rhonda plays this one. Sing and play at the same time. Joe on his guitar, man, sings and plays at the same time. Makes it look effortless. Let me tell you, it ain't, all right? It is not effortless. It's like, you know, you, when you're a kid, yeah, scratch your belly and pat your head. Play the guitar and sing. Before you know it, you're singing. You're playing like you're saying, whatever it is, man. And it's not doing it. You've got to separate that thing. I'm going to tell a story because my daughter's here. I used to play the guitar and lead worship. It was terrible. But we were the best gig in town. Made us good. And my daughter would sing. And, 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 and I remember one day I got up there and I couldn't, get, I couldn't hear it in my head, the rhythm of this song. And I'm jing, 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 jing. And I looked over at her and I nod, you know. And she goes. So I thought, is it too slow? Jing, 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 jing. She goes. I look over. She goes. Jing, 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 jing. 
You just sing. You know, it was terrible. It was terrible, okay? Because it's not easy to do. I'm impressed by instrumentalists. Uh, uh, Tanner over here plays electric guitar, and, and man, he's, I, I'm amazed by that. It just sounds so good. And, and Jesse plays right here, man, and he just wears it out. And today, man, between playing, he stuck his hands up. You know, he's worshiping. I'm going to play a little bit. Oh, God, I worship a little bit. I'm going to come back and play. I, I just love that, man. I love it. It's beautiful. We got Tyrell in the back playing the bass, you know, keeping it all down low. All right? And, and then here's one that really freaks me out. We got a guy named Gene who plays a harmonica. I never saw that one coming. <laughs> worship team with a harmonica, and it's absolutely phenomenal. Now, let me tell you something. As much as I love playing the guitar, and those around me didn't enjoy it as near as much as I did, um, and as much as I like hearing the guitar or these instruments, I want to tell you something. The instrument only plays what the instrumentalist tells it to play. If the instrumentalist says, uh, fingers on the keyboard, find the chord G. You know, uh, fingers on the guitarist, fret a G, whatever. It plays what the instrumentalist says to play. And that's beautiful. But somebody else can come along and play that same song. Because it's an instrument that's led by an instrumentalist. And that's good, but I want you to see what this looks like. It says in verse 3, And now they, 144,000 men strong, they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one was able to learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth so men, let me tell you what we do. We let the women out sing us a whole lot, and partly because they're better, okay? But God has called you to sing, man. I want you to know something. When he saves you and he seals you, he sings you. He reaches into you and he places a song in you, and you're supposed to sing. And we had a meeting a couple of weeks ago, and I told Joe, I said, Joe, listen, we want the people to sing. I know it's his heart. And I said, the people are going to sing. I'm telling you they're going to sing. And here's how we're going to get them to sing. We're going to sing songs that they know. We're not going to do as many new songs. Joe, Joe likes to sing new songs, man. I love new songs. They're great. But he's the only one singing because nobody knows them. And it's this expression that we've said before, I know it, but I don't know it loud. You know what I'm talking about? It's one of these. When the radio's on good and loud, man, you singing it. You don't know the words. You're just making them up. Like a girl, friend of mine's girlfriend was dating, and she's singing, man, sweet home, and he's, he hears her. He said, what is that? He said, what are you saying? She said, what? Singing, what's the words of that song? I don't know. She said, sweet home, how about it? You know? And he said, yeah, that's it. Another guy's girlfriend was singing to the radio, and he heard her. He goes, ho, ho. What's the words of that song? I don't know. Big old chair. You remember, you remember this big old jet airliner? Steve Miller band? Anybody remember that? You old if you do. Okay. She was singing big old chair with a light on it. Now, so here's what we do, man. We sing when the music's loud, but let the music drop out like today when they said voices only. And Joe, I hope wherever you're at, man, they sang that song. They know that song. That's what happens, man, when we know the songs. And, and, and I told Joe, I said, we're going to sing songs they know. And our guys in the booth, they're going to click the screen before the last word's gone. That way we're not singing, singing, and we miss the first line of the next screen because it ain't on yet. It goes, and then we join back in, okay? So we're just ramping up and shutting her down all the whole time. We're not going to do that. We're going to sing, man. And men, I told Joe, the men are going to start singing. And here's why he's going to start singing, because I'm convinced God's going to do something in the manhood, in the life of our church. 
Because for this church to be who God wants this church to be, it requires the women, man, and you all do a great job. It requires the girls, and you all are amazing. I love you. But men, we've got to be the men God has called us to be. Psalm 150 says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for the acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Now, I know <clears throat> there's some Sunday mornings, man, you just don't feel like coming in all crazy. You know what I'm saying? And this is one of them. If you're the preacher and it's raining cats and dogs, you wake up and you say, well, it's going to be one of those Sundays. This morning, I showed up and there's a little girl here, uh, Raylan Arnold, and she's probably in a seven-year-old or something. And, and it's raining, man, and people just, just got that rainy countenance, you know. Jesus is still on his throne. We can't see him for the clouds, you know. Here comes Raylan. She's skipping through the church like this. And I'm like, hey, Raylan. She goes, hey. And I'm like, she gets it. She didn't get the memo that we're supposed to look like this on a rainy day. She got the memo that says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. All right? Now, that's what happens. And men, I just want to tell you, I'm not talking about singing a George Strait song because you'll sing those or Kenny Chesney or Leonard Skinner or whoever your flavor is, okay? If you're a youth, it might be uh, whatever his name is, uh, Post Malone. You ain't singing with him because you don't know what he's saying. I'm not sure he knows what he's saying, okay? That's not the song we're talking about him putting on your heart. You know those have been on your heart because when it comes on, you join it. Okay, I'm talking about a song that comes from your soul. I'm talking about where you can't contain it. It needs to be a day in your household when you're singing in the shower and you're singing a, a song to the Lord and then your wife or your children hear you sounding like an idiot in there and you do not care because you're going before God and it's an audience of one and that's the only one that you're trying to impress. So when he saves you, he seals you and he sings you. The next thing I want you to see is a sanctified lifestyle. He sanctifies you, man. What is that? It's a church word. It's a big word. It's a religious word, a theological word. It says in verse 4, the first part, it says, These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. Okay, let's, let's unpack this a little. To be sanctified means you are set apart. That's what it means. In the Old Testament, it's where we see the word kind of spelled out. In the Old Testament, in the temple... They would have pots of water, and the pots of water were for particular things, and, and this pot might be set apart for ceremonial cleansing or washing. had water in it, just like the other one, but it was sanctified. It was set apart for a particular thing. And then this pot over here might be a pot that was provided for drinking water. It was sanctified, set apart for a particular thing. When God saves you, seals you, and sings you, men, he sanctifies you. He has set you apart. He has taken you from where you once were and placed you to where he wants you to be. Now, you may run back over there for a season while he's working and perfecting you, but his goal for you is to be here in this sanctified arena. Now, in this verse, it says these men had not defiled themselves. They were virgins. Does that mean they were celibate? Does, does that mean they never married? They never had sex outside of wedlock? I think it's much, much more. No, I don't think they married. 
I don't think they had sex outside of wedlock. In fact, when the mail comes to their house and it's from Victoria's Secret, Secret with a free pair of underwear in there, these guys didn't look at it and say, man, who is that? I know you haven't, but your neighbor did. You saw him looking at the mail, all right? These guys never even did that. But it's more. They were pure and undefiled spiritually. They were not spiritual adulterers toward God. You see, when you read further in the book of Revelation, we're introduced now to the church that's led by the false prophet, and it's called the harlot church, okay? Because it had turned away from the truth of God's word and reinvented who it was that they thought God wanted them to be. And so men... I want you to know when God saves you, seals you, and sings you, he sanctifies you, you are to be pure and undefiled. If you're married, towards your wife. If you're single, towards yourself. If, if you're a Christian, toward the God who saved you. We used to take students all the time to uh, True Love Weights rallies. And I remember we had a bunch of students one time, and I had a ring. I put a ring on it. It's 1 Thessalonians. And, uh, and I remember a student saying, man, why are you wearing that ring? You married. It was a guy said that, you know, because that's all a guy thinks of, just saying. And I said, because I'm still supposed to be pure. And, and, and 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Just because you're married doesn't mean you're not supposed to be pure. Single, married, men, boys, you should, are supposed to be pure. Not because somebody's watching, but because God is watching. And he takes this very seriously. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, the last days shall, uh, the, In the last days, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. You see, there is a real enemy out there who is trying to rip you away from a wholesome relationship with God first and those in your circle second. I want you to see next, which is my favorite, men, in 4B, there's a phrase that I just think we need to get, all right? And I don't think we've gotten it very well, and that is a surrendered attitude. All right, get ready. This is cool. This is these are the ones, 144,000 men. These are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes. You say, what's so good about that? The lamb is Jesus, man. And it's time we follow him wherever he goes. I want to be the pastor, and I want this church to be full of men who simply go where Jesus goes. If Jesus says go here, that's where we go. If Jesus says stay here, that's where we stay. If Jesus says move over there, that's where we move. If Jesus says to start something or stop something, that's where we go because we follow Jesus wherever he goes. I was raised in a culture, I've shared this before, where in the church, Jesus had become feminized a little bit. And I don't mean that ugly toward women. Men and women are equal. Unfortunately, women outdo men in a lot of spiritual areas. And so I was kind of just had an understanding when people would talk about Jesus, it was soft. It was like, yeah, Jesus, he loved everybody and Jesus, and he did, he, he, he did. But what they failed to, to get is for a young man, we were looking for a champion. And the way it was presented, although he was a champion on the cross, it was like he was defeated on the cross. And it, 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 for me, and maybe I was the only one on the planet, 
And for a long time, man, it was hard for me just to, to, just to consider this verse to say, yeah, man, I follow the lamb. The lamb is my leader. For me to say, Jesus is the king of my life. I don't do things the world does because Jesus told me not to do them. I don't, I don't do what you do because Jesus doesn't do that, and I'm not going to do it. It was just hard for me. I didn't get the memo of who Jesus really was. And so in researching it, I, I was reminded, man, of how and why a man can follow the lamb because this is who he is. He is the resurrected king of the world. He is the prince of peace. He's the savior of the world bought for with his own blood. He's the creator and sustainer of everything seen and unseen. He is the great physician. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the Almighty One. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the bridegroom for all the saints of God. He's the cornerstone. He's the deliverer. He's the conqueror. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the light. He's the judge. He's the Lion of Judah, the Messiah, the Mighty One. He's our hope, our peace, our prophet, our priest. He's the redeemer, the rescuer, the risen one. He's the rock of ages, the resurrected one. He's the door, the word, the victor, and my champion. And because of that, being who he is, men, it's easy to say, I will follow the lamb. Amen? Amen. Another golf clap. Not impressed. And so, men, I'm calling you out. I'm inviting you to a place to go with me and with our church, man, where we have never been, where most, most churches never experience, where the men of God become the men of God that God wants them to be. And men, listen to me. When you become the man that God wants you to be, okay, your circle will change. Your wives will look at you differently. Okay, now they may push back in you taking up the reins of leadership in your family, the spiritual leadership, okay? But you press through. You say, fine. You, may, you follow the lamb. You be the man God wants you to be. Your relationship with your spouse will change. Your relationship with your children will change. Your relationship with your grandchildren will change. Your relationship with your work peers will change. Your relationship with your team and your schoolmates will change. Your everything, your church will change. And because of that, this world will change. It is that imperative that we become who it is that God wants us to be. And then the last thing I want you to see, which is beautiful, it's found in verse 5, and it's a spotless fraternity. A spotless fraternity. That's what he calls us to. You say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, let me explain it. In the 80s, early 80s, I went to school at Tennessee Tech. And when I got to Tennessee Tech, uh, the first thing that happens if you're a young man at college is people want to rush you for college. They want to invite you to, to be a part of a fraternity, okay? And so they say, hey, man, we want you to come and, and rush, to be a part of Rush, and we want you to pledge for our fraternity, because if you join this fraternity, man, you're going to have a group of friends that's going to be around you, all right? And then when you get out of school, you're going to have this group of friends. They're going to help you get the best jobs, and they're going to help you do this and help you. If you're struggling in school, man, you got a group of guys that's going to help you. And, he, and you're a young guy, man. You're, you just sprouted wings. You're at college, and you're listening. You say, well, that sounds cool. And then you go to the first event, and basically, if you boil all that down, you don't get it. But when you get there, if you boil that down, what it looks like is a bunch of 20-year-olds who are drunk and don't know when tomorrow gets here, okay? Now, what... 
what part of that makes you better in business and better in school? I never did get. And, and so my parents had a real easy rule about me joining a fraternity. My dad said, do they drink at that fraternity? I said, yeah, they drink. And he said, well, then you can't join. And if you do join, then you can pay for the rest of your college. That's a good answer, parents. I didn't want to pay for the rest of my college, all right? So I didn't join the fraternity. I didn't like it, but I didn't join it. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is a spotless fraternity. He says, listen to this verse 5, and it says, and no lie was found on their lips, and they are blameless. Men, God wants you to be in a circle, a group, a herd of spotless men you cannot navigate this world alone. The enemy is far craftier. He's far better at fighting spiritual warfare than you are. So he wants you to be in a group, a spotless fraternity. Now watch this. Some of you have jumped ahead and looked around in here and said, man, I'm going to have to go to another church. I don't see no spotless people up in here. You know why? Because you don't see what God sees. When Jesus saves you, seals you, sings you, sanctifies you, he spotlesses you. And you can't see it when you look in the mirror, but he sees it when he looks at you. I'm telling you, I, I make so many mistakes. I really do. And when I look in the mirror sometimes, I don't see Saint Joel. I don't see spotless Joel. I just see a sinful mess. And God has to whisper to me and say, stop looking at what you're seeing and start looking at what I know. You have been washed in the spotless lamb of God's blood. You've been made whiter than snow. You just jump your ugly self right back behind your sacrifice of King Jesus, and you hide in that. And don't you pay any attention to what those around you might say, what you might say to yourself, or what that image in the mirror says looking back at you. You just hide in the sacrifice of Jesus, and I got everything else covered. I see you as nothing but spotless in Jesus. So here's what he's saying. And here's what I'm saying. Men, God wants you to be in a group of men who are seen as spotless by God. He wants you to have a group of men that are committed following the Lamb Christians. Who, man, we're going to move together. We're going to navigate together. And if you get a little stupid, which you will, because you're a dude, okay, this group doesn't throw rocks at you and, you know, shoot arrows at you and make fun of you. They jump out there, man, and they hang on, and they pull you back into the fraternity. They say, man, what are you doing? You can't go there. We're, we're, we're this, not that. We just love them back into the circle, and then we're going to move forward. We're just going to keep moving forward, and then God is going to do something supernatural. I, I, I feel it. There's things going on in the life of our church that most of you have no idea about, and I just want to tell you it's a beautiful thing. And you'll hear about it in the next few weeks. And men, I'm inviting you. I, I want to be a better man. 
I want to be a better preacher, pastor, man. I want to be a better husband, man. I want to be a better father and grandfather, man. But most importantly, I want to be a better follow the lamb man. And I want you to join me. So I want you to bow your heads, everybody, and close your eyes. <clears throat> Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. 1 Timothy 6, 11 says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. If you're here today, man, woman, boy, girl, and you have never made that confession. You have never said, God, I'm a sinner, and I want you to save me. I want Jesus to come into my life today. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life and the Savior of my soul. Save me on this day, because I know I'm a walking mess. If you're here, men, women, boys, girls, and you've never done that, and you feel like that's something you need to do, would you slip your hand up right now? Just say, that's me, I need to do that. I've never done that. But I feel like God is inviting me into the kingdom. All right? Then what we're gonna do in just a second while we sing, I'm gonna invite men who would like to take the first step of the journey in a fraternity of spotless men. I'm gonna invite you to go with us on February 28th, which is two Thursdays from now, to a men's event. And I'm gonna invite you to come down here and sign up, and I've got a ticket for you. And I want you to go with us, and we're gonna see what God will do in the life of our church. God, thank you for being patient with us. God, for those that are in here today that are separated from you, wrestling with the idea of the reality of you. God, I pray your Holy Spirit will do as he once did me, and that is to gently convict my heart. Make them aware of where they are before you. Remind them, God, how much you love them right where they are, but you want so much more for them, and that can only be found in Jesus, your son. God, for the men in here, I pray over them now. At whatever age they are, boys, men, senior adult men, I pray your blessings upon them, God. I pray that you will pull them into a new place, that they'll experience you more so that you can use